Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. And today, I get to talk to Nick Law, who has been in the news lately because uh, he was, when I spoke to him, the publicist CCO of uh, all of their companies around the world. And he just left and went to Apple. So uh, Apple's getting all of our uh, ad people. Hello, Apple. We talked a lot about uh, the, the future of the business and the state of the business in general. It's interesting to know that uh, he sort of left the ad side of the business to go to Apple right after this. His background is really interesting because he, he grew up in Australia and learned to live on his own very early and has made a name for himself in technology, but started off in design. So I think it's an interesting evolution of a person through their various states. Also, he talks a lot about really cool stuff like stories versus systems and how creatives are the product people. I just got a lot out of it and I, I felt like it was a really good conversation. So I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, we got to tell you about how the A-List is brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. Advertising age called Ad House New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy? An ad class is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. Ad House classes are taught by the best in the biz in the agencies where they work. And you get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, go to adhousenyc.com. And for the latest news, follow Ad House NYC on Facebook. Without further ado... Here is my conversation with Mr. Nick Law. Hey, Nick Law. Hi. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Um, you, uh, you and I met, uh, you were at RGA a while back, uh, and you were there for a long time. Yeah, and, it was uh, 17 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've, <clears throat> I've followed your career. You're, you're a big uh, believer in the sort of connection of storytelling and technology so mm -hmm. and you came from design uh, yeah. originally so it'll be interesting to hear how you kind of came into this crazy business and and um because you've always sort of been an outsider into the thing you said yourself right. yeah um where where did you start where did you grow up where were you born i grew up in the northern beaches of sydney in australia okay um what was that like well, it was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I go back there now, and like a lot of the West, is completely gentrified. Yeah. Um, but when I grew up, it was pretty working class. Yeah. My my mother was a you know I had a when like she was a single parent working as a nurse. Oh wow! Which meant that she spent a lot of time away from home, which meant that the, her three boys had a pretty feral upbringing. Yeah. Very un. So it was the three of you just completely. Uh, just like run wild, basically. Running wild. Yeah. It was Mad Max, basically. Yeah, pretty what we, much. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, in retrospect, I think it was it was it was probably a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and and I worry with my own kids, for example, that we, we put too much structure around them. Yeah. Uh, but they it, can't you know, play. <clears throat> yeah, and and also just I think um, I think having an unstructured childhood forces you to make associative connections that you wouldn't make if you're being told what to do all the time. Yeah. So what kind of things did you get into? Like what 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 were you what did you find yourself doing? Well, because I was on the beach, spent a lot of time in the surf. Yeah. Um and a lot more time in the surf than going to school. I mm -hmm. was I was really bad academically. Yeah. Uh did you I, feel bad about that? Not at all. No, because I was so unsupervised that I had no one to answer to. Right. And uh which 
you know, was probably not a good thing. Uh, were they older brothers? Or? I had two older brothers, okay. but but we were very we had very separate lives. Even though we all ended up you know, sleeping in the same house at the end of the day, we never saw each other, and we were all doing our own thing. And I think life in Sydney on the northern beaches at that time was sort of characterized by sort of physical activity. Right. So surfing, I played rugby, I ran track, I did a lot of things. I did a lot of things to avoid doing any school. Yeah. <clears throat> and the only thing that I had as far as I could tell, any talent in at school was drawing. Okay. Um, you know, which wasn't wasn't something that uh, improved my academics a great deal. Because and you I, didn't think of that as a, a thing you could do in life well, I, as a career? Well, it occurred to me that I, that I had so few uh, skills, at least it seemed like at school, you know, if you lined up my aptitudes against all the subjects. And, and, and I, I had a friend who's father was a commercial artist oh there you go which is i think what you what we would call a graphic designer at the time right. and i can't even remember how this happened but somehow i met him and he invited me into his office it was a tiny little graphic design studio in sydney and i thought well i should probably do this i can get paid for this yeah i never thought oh i'm going to be an artist it was i was already practical yeah and there was uh there was there was a few colleges uh, that you could apply for. But because I was so disastrous academically, I'd get none of them. But there was this one technical college. It's a little bit like a community college in America right. yeah. uh, called Ramwick Tech, where if you went in and you and you did practical tests yeah. and you, and you get had to get to three rounds of tests, yeah. I got to, through to the last round and then eventually I got a letter in the mail saying I hadn't made it. Oh, no. And because I had a friend who had made it from the same school, who was also a good drawer, yeah. I, I, was, I went into the... I went into the college and asked to see the head teacher. Oh my god! And and I and I said I just would like to know, you know, what I could have done better. And and I and 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 so this guy looked at me quizzically, and then he said, "Well, hang on a second. He disappeared into the back room, and then he reappeared again and said, "Oh, actually, you made it." Oh my god! And now to this day, I think it's probably he thought, "Well, this guy's had the balls to come in and yeah. ask, so we probably should give him a spot." What gave you that? <clears throat> I didn't have any. Where other did that options, come from? To be honest. <laughs> But where did that go? A lot of a lot of people, a lot of kids would be like, "Well, I didn't get in." So, well, it's, it's I'm particularly done. unusual for me because I was a very shy kid. Yeah, and I'm still fairly fairly shy, but but um, but I, I can also be uh, pig headed. And in this case, I didn't see a lot of other, a lot of other options. You know, I mean, I guess I could have tried to be a professional rugby player. Yeah, and spent you know five years in men's locker rooms, and then. Your and, ears would be and have a cauliflower, cauliflower ears and broken legs, and then spend the rest of my life on a construction site or something. I don't know. Yeah, um, and you know, and I got through, and I did really well, and I loved it in, wow. in the way that I didn't like school. I loved this little community college. What did I you love about it? <clears throat> that I was making stuff. Yeah, and this was this was in the days of drafting tables and T squares. Yeah, this was just before you know Ruby desktops and, came along. Yeah, yeah. that's right, and uh, and you know. Transfers and yeah. yeah, cutting things up. I loved it. It was yeah. just I worked all the time. I went from avoiding work at all costs at high school to spending, getting into class and leaving class, getting in first and leaving class last for this two years. So it was a two year <clears throat> course that you got a certificate for, a yeah. certificate that no one's ever asked me for. Yeah, incidentally. Yeah, exactly. And so I arrived in America much later without a degree, which actually was a bit of an issue. I had to go through all sorts of bureaucratic. But right. but in the end, it was, it was actually a pretty good practical education. Yeah, because you, were, in you this, were learning the skills. It was a technical college is what they called it. And in yeah. the same building, there were hairdressers and plumbers. And it was very, right. 
you know, uh, and I like people that. fixing cars. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so I, I was out in the workforce by the time I was uh, twenty. What, I had a job, and you so know. what did you you right from there? They sort of helped you get a job at, at yeah. Ramic? I mean, all all the graduates from from this Ramic Tech tended to get jobs. Yeah, a whole raft of them. I remember this got jobs at the Yellow Pages. Right. Yeah. Like like uh, pasting up Paste the Yellow Pages, which yeah. is you know they, they'd do anything for a job. I knew that the first job was important, and and I was and in the same sort of manic single mindedness that got me into the college, I took out into the workplace and I found this small design company that did corporate identities. Yeah. It was a brilliant but crazy creative that had started this place. What was it? it? What was it called? It was called Jin's Jandura. And and the the, the creative was uh, had been at a company that, that did the identity for Qantas. Um, you know, and right. so it had worked on big corporate identity programs. Yeah. And again, it was great. This guy was was very particular about craft. Yeah, um, I mean, it, this is actually I think one of the themes that I that I I found in my life <clears throat> is that it's very bottom up. And what, what I mean by that is it's practice turns into theory, not theory turns into practice. Right. So it was only after you mastered the sort of technique, yes, or you know, or the, the ten thousand hours. Yeah, exactly. Uh, rule. That, yeah. that you started to make. Um, that you started to then see the patterns, see the things, but become more strategic as yeah. a thinker. Um, and I don't know if it's possible if you go into a program or you or you have a life that that is led mostly by theory, because theory right. in the end is always at the surface of practice. Yeah. Otherwise, why have it? Yeah. You talk about <clears throat> um, in some of your other interviews that uh, a big idea without a a tactic. Uh, is yeah. sort of you, you, you look at it and you go, well, what is it? And when you you like to see it done yeah. in a way, whether that's a storytelling video or a tool or a, yeah. um, I love that that thinking, and it yeah. reminds me of, of what you're saying now. Well, I mean, I believe in disciplined ideas, which means that you have a consistency around whatever that voice tone mm-hmm. narrative of a brand is. Um, but I don't. But I, I'm very skeptical of a lot of the things that have become to be known as big ideas. Right. So when I tell people I don't believe in the big idea, what I mean is <clears throat> I believe in ideas, but the way that people talk about big ideas now, I think is mostly hollow. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, we, because we'll, I'm, the, well, I'm sure we'll get on the rubber doesn't hit the road. Well, and, and because I think there's a mistaken thought in the, in the advertising industry, at least, um, that a big idea is something that floats above execution. But the, the curious Part of that is when I ask someone who is a big champion of these advertising big, big ideas, show me the big idea, then mm-hmm. it always looks like a bloody anthem film and a tagline. Mm-hmm. So I think what they're... what or write a manifesto. Yeah, and, and yeah. I think, I, and you know, to be honest, I'll tie that back to the original sin of our industry, which was when uh, media was separated from creative. Mm. And when that happened, which was years ago, mm. the predominant sort of creative practice was broadcast. That was the sort of the economic engine of the industry. Mm. So it's not surprising to me that when this, uh, when when the creative uh, agencies became more remote to the mediums, mm-hmm. that they would start they would <clears throat> start to think of well, what they what do they, what do we sell now? Well, we sell ideas because mm. the medium has gone elsewhere. Yeah. And what and how do we make that idea somehow primal and universal? Well, we'll call it a big idea. Yeah. But the, but 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 like every creative knows, you can't actually come up with an idea without imagining its execution. It's impossible. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's just strategy, right? Yeah. And so and so that's why these big ideas look a lot like 
anthem films. Like I've never been in a meeting where someone said, we've got a big idea and shown an interface. Mm. This is our big idea. And, and you could argue actually that an interface is somehow more dimensional mm. than the narrative. A narrative can be powerful, but an interface <clears throat> can deliver community and transactions mm -hmm. and, and, a, and a story and all sorts of things. So if you were to sort of wind back the clock and keep creative connected to, to the mediums of, mm. you know, then I, I'm not sure we would have landed at a place where, where you know, where a 30-second soaring emotional narrative was the only thing that could position an idea. Right. I think yeah. we would actually be very, we'd be far more nuanced than that. Yeah. But as it happens, that's that, that you know, that's where we find ourselves. Going back to you <clears throat> uh, at Ranwick <clears throat> yeah. uh, and you're, 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 you're learning the technology of the time, right? You're learning uh, paste up, you're learning yeah, that's right. exactly. uh, kerning, you're learning... Yeah. Um, Letraset. Uh, yeah, Letraset. Uh, well, and composition okay. and color and, yeah. you know, the basics too. The basics um, <clears throat> of, of, of design and communication mm -hmm. uh, in paper form or in sort of uh, graphic form. Yeah. Um, so that sort of made it so that you had only a few places you could go, right? And and you chose this uh, this the place, design uh, company, yeah. the design company. How did you how did you decide on that place? Did you just had you seen it? Did you know somebody or uh, because just as a practical because like, I saw or, their work, yeah. And this guy who had uh, loved the, the the Qantas identity, yeah. Um, uh, he'd done some bank identities, some some wine labels. I just the work was beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, and even I was already like one of those people that would pour over books, design, you know, and design and design annuals, and 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 it just was obvious to me that this guy had amazing craft. Yeah, and and so you know, I, I in you know, I, I mean, it, later, uh, it, you know, uh, I I do tend to want to work with the best people, and this is why I mentioned that there was, I had a whole bunch of colleagues that were very talented. Mm -hmm. That somehow felt it was okay to go and work at the Yellow Pages, yeah, because it was a job, and they, they thought, were doing oh, well, it for then it's my first step. And, I, and my thought has always been, and I think this is something I'd get my advice to any young creative is, is that don't think that that you're going to unlearn the bad habits mm. of a bad agency, mm. you know, or a, or a bad a design company. Like that, go go somewhere where you're intimidated by their work, where you have to live up to their work. Don't go somewhere thinking that oh, I'll just tread water here because you get you learn bad habits and you and you and when you're in a culture that doesn't is not a culture of excellence then it rubs off yeah. you know you want to be challenged you want to feel like every time you're going to work that it's a it's a real stretch to live up to the quality of that company yeah that's what you want yeah that's great advice um what what was it like so you're you're doing this sort of in the classroom you, you're obviously were a very hard worker what was it like now going into the into the sort of professional, <clears throat> how did it change? Well, how you because had to it act? was a very practical course, because it was two years, and because I think, by my estimation, I was the last person admitted into this course. Um, by your I, own, I, by your own design, yeah. Uh, but uh, but I ended up like being top of of the class because okay. I worked so hard and, yeah. I, and I had some talent, and so I had a gr I had a good portfolio, which yeah. meant that that um, when I got in front of this guy, I got, I got in. And it felt like, because it was such a practical uh, learning experience, that by the time I was actually working, it was just a more intense version of what I was doing mm -hmm. at, at college, right? 
this guy was very demanding. He was a little bit, you know, like a classic creative leader of the time, a little bit psychotic. Yeah. Um, and the work was, I worked constantly and I loved it. Mm. And, I, and I only, so I only worked there, you know, I got work almost immediately into design books and stuff. But oh, great. Yeah. I mean, this guy was. Yeah, how, was how big was the team? It was, it was like three. Yeah. Oh, it wow. was tiny. It was yeah. absolutely tiny. Yeah. And it, and it, and you know, maybe it reached four and five every now and again if we bought freelancers in, but it was yeah. a tiny little company. Right. Um, but very focused and, and, and very particular. And, uh, and, and then after 18 months at this place, I did what most young Australians do and thought, I've got to go walk about. Yeah. And for me, the place to end up would be London because the craft of design at that time, I thought was most interesting to me, at least in London. Right. Um, and so I went backpacking. You know, I got a one-way ticket to to Bangkok and then traveled around and, you know, went up through Europe and then across. And I ended up in London. By yourself? Yeah, by myself, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's an Australian tradition. Very Australian. Yeah. yeah. We, we always go walk about. Some of us get back, some of us don't. Yeah. And, uh, and I found myself in London having put my portfolio, my physical portfolio, on a boat before I left. And and so it took months for this thing to arrive. So I got a job washing dishes. I lived in a socialist hostel in Holland Park and washed dishes in Fleet Street at a restaurant. Wow. And then my eventually my portfolio arrived. Yeah. And then I went out and I I got a job at a, at a design company. Yeah. What was um, that place? It was called Crabtree Hall. It was a small, like, uh, it, you, it, it was known in a certain community that did uh, that did design systems for property developments. But I was there not very long before I actually uh, found a job at Pentagram. Oh, wow. And I worked with Alan Fletcher and John McConnell. Um, and so that that was really um, the first, like, uh, you know, famous was it, was it, was company that I ever worked one with. of the top three that the, you wanted to that at, you wanted it was to work the at top. It was that was the top. top yeah and if i got the opportunity i ran for it and i uh, got in and it was awesome and then after uh not long actually i actually moved into advertising yeah how did you how did that how did you make that leap um i met or this, why did you make that? i met this australian guy that worked at dnbnb and i was just intrigued and you got to remember at that time and this is like 1988 mm -hmm. the advertising world the design world um, even the design, you know, within like corporate identity compared to annual reports compared to whatever, they're, they're very siloed. siloed. Yeah. Uh, and the language between these worlds was not connected. So, you know, what was considered a big idea in the design world was, you know, like great use of typography or... Um, Blue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they could be conceptual, but often the concepts were like... Um, Visual puns or something like, you know, the Partners, which was a great agency at the time, I think they're still around, were known for the sort of witty visual puns you mm -hmm. know, for, on posters and things. But then the advertising world is very different. You know, it was a narrative world mm -hmm. uh, and and what was a concept in that world was, you know, a, often a, 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 a metaphor, you know, that was delivered by film. Yeah. But I just thought it was interesting, you know, and so I joined DNB&B, oh, wow. this, this, which was an agency as a designer or as an uh, art director as a or? designer and then i became an art director and yeah. then and then ultimately i actually started to write too because uh i then moved to new york in 94 uh worked at a, at a design company that was called Diffenbach elkins that then became future brand so another corporate identity sort of brand company right yeah 
And I was there for about two years, and then I joined a small advertising agency that was based in North Carolina, and then stumbled into the sort of startup world. So the dot com, yeah, bubble was happening right. in, in the in the sort of late nineties. So by the time I started to work on on uh, on interactive stuff, which was early interactive, it was hyperlinked brochures. Yeah, so yeah. It was a, then yeah. I, I had I had sort of gone from and through no design. From you know, from from design to advertising to interactive. Yeah. When and, you when you first saw, I remember first seeing the uh, Steve Klein at at uh, Kirschbaum and Bond showed me the internet, um, and it was ninety four, and I remember thinking, so it's just words, and I click on them, and I go to more words, and yeah. and and I thought. <clears throat> Like, I just remember being so stupid about it and just being like, I don't see why. I, I understand it could be fun to go, th- you know, get lost in those yeah. hyperlinks. But what did you think of it when you first saw I, it? I thought this thing's amazing. Yeah. Gonna, because the thing about it was, and, and similar to you, my first experience of it was basically it was through Mosaic, which yeah. was the, one of the first browsers. You know, on, I don't even know di- what browser I was on. I, I, I yeah, guess I mean, was, I think that that was probably the first that that had any sort of uh, you know wide distribution. But yeah. and yeah, and it was a dial-up modem. Yeah, and the thing for me was, um, you know, I was an expat living in New York, and and what I used to do is I'd go online and I'd read the Sydney Morning Herald and find right. out you know the the sports scores and stuff. Yeah, so and you that had a was, practical. That was remarkable to me because yeah. because in a previous to that in the in the early 90s, I did a long trip overland from London through Europe and got to Trans-Siberia and went to China and then and down into Pakistan and India. I had this long, like, six-month backpacking trip where I never got on a plane. And it was during the Rugby World Cup, and I really wanted to know how who was winning. And, and I, it was I, down I, in, but in I, Australia. No, it was actually it was in Britain. Okay. And, and you know, so I would go. I'd come into the small towns in India, go to the English library, pick up a newspaper that was a week old, and that would be as instant <clears throat> as, my, you know, my, the information yeah. I'd get. Um, and, you know, I actually found out through an Australian who had just, in a jungle of Goa, that Australia actually won. Um, but but it, was, it was very disconnected. People didn't know where I was. People right. forget this world before the internet. Yeah. And so for I me... I feel so lucky to have... It's amazing. Experienced right? it. And that sort of strange, delicious isolation. Yes, isolation with nobody else, nobody, no other mind yeah. inside of yours. But yeah. then when I was in in New York and all of a sudden I had I could access all of these worlds that instantly, including where I was from, I just thought it was amazing. And 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 I often think about this in retrospect that what I don't understand is how a newspaper editor at the time would have thought, oh, we're just gonna give this we're going to put this online for free, and we're going to use it as a loss leader for the print, mm. um, you know, edition. Yeah. Because that's what happened. That's yeah. what, that's. And to me, and it was that, obvious immediately that this was, the, this was going to become the default way of reading news. It was just yeah. obvious to me. In the same yeah. way that, um, you know, that I see a lot of emergent technologies now, like voice. It's just obvious. If you don't have a voice practice yeah. as an agency right now, yeah. it's almost too late. Yeah, this is not like some cute thing. It's going to be ubiquitous. It's already got a huge install base. Yeah, you know, through these uh, home assistants. Anyway, my point there is that it was when I saw this thing called the internet, I immediately, and I knew it was going to get richer. Mm-hmm. And I remember speaking to um, Clement Market Studio Archetype, which is one of the early um, interactive agencies. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I remember studio thinking, archetype. Yeah, okay. I mean, there, it was 
a classic um, sort of de- uh, design company that was mastering this thing called the internet. But mm. and the internet was, as you say, this hyperlinked brochure. Yeah. But even then, the graphics were getting a little bit richer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was there was wasn't quite animation Logos yet. Logos on fire. Yeah, yeah. It was not, <laughs> wasn't not, there yet. It wasn't even yeah. there. But yeah. but it was obvious that that was going to happen. Right. And so. Having had this accidental career where I jumped from these all these different creative disciplines, yeah, the reason that the web struck me is it was again this was, it was obvious to me before any of this came to fruition that the web was going to eat everything, yeah. that all the stuff that I had learned design storytelling um, you know uh, film yeah. was going to collapse into this thing called the internet like a black hole it was going to happen mm. even then it was obvious i mm. couldn't see it was inevitable and a lot of designers <clears throat> and any anybody who had been in the old world and you you talk about this with new technologies um all the time they fought against it right they were like oh, oh the yeah. web is awful it's the you know the dial up the all the they talk about the sort of um the shortcomings of it yeah. as opposed to thinking about you know where can it go? Well, and they compare it to to uh, what well, a medium that is legacy but mature. Mm. So, in the, when I first got to London, which was in '88, um, this was when Macs were starting to appear on desktops. Yeah, but there were still typesetters. There was this. There was this very, you know, big and talented and broad industry called typesetting, mm. and and we would send out for type and get it back. And I remember speaking to people as this thing called. Mac came along saying, well, this is going to replace typesetting. And this is classic sort of English guild mentality Mm. is that they have such faith in the craft. And they said, no, but you can't set type Mm. on a Mac as well as you can, as these craftspeople can with these typesetting machines. And and, and so this is a classic mistake that people make, which is they, they compare a mature technology to a nascent technology without understanding the power of the nascent technology. Mm. And just because a grammar hadn't developed around desktop computing didn't mean that it was that it was just going to be it's just in every way better it was going to win. Mm. It was absolutely. And I remember design companies in London at the time not letting their designers on computers, so they would have these technicians sitting on the Mac, and the, and the designer would would you know stand behind them mm. and tell them what to do because the they operator. thought that somehow they're going to get polluted by this medium called called the internet uh, called called uh, software and, yeah. and technology yeah. and it's just, that's as absurd to me as as saying you can't use a, a biro pen mm. because the ballpoint is this sort of strange uh you know medium that's getting between you and real art you've got to prick your 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 finger and draw with your blood somehow that's more primal i just don't even that is a medium it's a technology yeah yeah you you know the blood that's oozing out of your finger has right. a certain quality yeah that you have to master and yeah. whether it's and again and now we're now people are freaking out about ai to me ai is an amazing creative tool yeah and we're already seeing it in the periphery like in something like uh, adobe photoshop when you look at the tool palette it's now anticipating what you've done before and yeah. seeing patterns, and it's, it's and it's, you know, um, it's it's being embedded, and it's just going to be accelerant. How can how can a young creative play with things like that, like AI, like you know, if they don't have the? Um, uh, so I remember being at a big agency. My first job was at Ogilvy uh, Direct in New York City, and one of the things I loved was. I had access to all of the software, all of yeah. the things, and I could build yeah. anything I wanted. I could 
make use their copy machine and you know, talk about technology. Use their fax machine. Uh, what <laughs> what what can uh, uh, how can creatives play with the new stuff? Where can they? Well, it's all there. This yeah. is I, I, this is where can I mean, there's been that? a great inversion in the last you know ten years because all of these tools have been not only like the thing that happened even before the internet with 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 software like things like Photoshop and. Quark and Illustrator and, you know, all these Quark. things. Oh, you remember Quark. that? Yeah. yeah. Is it what what these tools did in comparison to what I was doing when I was working on a drafting, ta- a drafting table is that these tools uh, created execution at the speed of thought. Mm. So we went from a world where you could come up with one idea and you would methodically execute it every week because you'd send out type, you'd come back, you'd have to correct it, you'd send it out again, you'd mm. get all this stuff, you know, you'd get transfers sent out and they'd come back and you'd assemble it all in this very meticulous way, one mistake you have to start again. Mm. So you so you had to be really you have to plan really well. You had to figure out what your idea was, and you probably only had time to do one idea. And then you would you would prepare all these pieces and assemble them, and it would take a week or two mm. to, from from one idea to go from from your head to to the sort of, uh, to execution. And then software came along, and all of a sudden, especially when when Photoshop had got layers, because the first Photoshop didn't have layers, which right. meant that you even had to plan. Everything because there was only one undo, yeah, and there wasn't a layer, so you had to plan it. It was right. still a lot faster, but then layers changed everything because yeah. you could have multiple ideas going on at the same time, visualize them immediately, yeah, and then either close it down or, or continue it and try another thing. And so, having execution catch up to the speed of thought made everyone more more creative, right? Like it was an explosion in creativity. Yeah. I remember being in London when this was all happening and the, and the design scene was, was just exploding. Yeah. And it was, and there was all sorts of things happening in typography and color and layers and film and all that. Yeah. And then, and then the, what the internet did is it, it you took all of these people that were being hyper creative in their own world with this new tool and it connected them. And, and we all know as soon as we connect ourselves to a large community, we learn more and so this flywheel of, of innovation and creativity just accelerated again, almost exponentially. Yeah. Um, and so if I think about um, where we are now, and I go back to the, this ruinous big idea and how it's taken our creative people in the agencies away from, from the tools that they should be mastering. Mm. So we're at a point now where there are more mediums mm. at our disposal getting generated rapidly than ever before. So it was. There was a time when, you know, a new medium would come along a f- after a few decades. You'd you'd there'd be a few years of of the, of the creative community mastering that medium, mm-hmm. and then and then uh, and then the, and then they'd master it, and then it'd be another decade for, for another medium to come. Now you right. get a new medium every six months. Yeah, maybe you get multiple mediums, mediums that come and go. Yeah, and and mediums that become mass. They're not even like small things. So an example would be Instagram stories. Is a really powerful mass medium. Yeah, it's huge. You know, yeah. there there are multiple uh, uh, Super Bowl size audiences um, looking at Instagram stories right now around the world. Right. The, uh, and 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 the tragedy of our creative community within the agencies is that there is a there is a grandmother in Auckland or a student in Bangalore. Or some, you know, some slack-jawed kid in Jersey right now mm-hmm. that has mastered that medium. That's, that's me. <laughs> that's mastered that medium better than the art directors and copywriters that are in are in a corner office right now crafting a bloody anthem film. Right. And and that's, so that's a crisis, right? Because yeah. because of this this uh, because of the uh, big idea drawing them away. 
yeah. from using the media. And they're all spending all night. I mean, I've been I've been at places where these these kids uh, will be there all night working on scripts, working on ideas, yeah. working on things when they could be playing Fortnite and learning more yeah. about well, yeah. things and connecting them to or you know on Oculus or wh- whatever. Well, you know, how do you find the time? Is what I'm what I'm thinking for for these. Like, yeah. what do you do? Do you do you dip into these things? Do you oh, just yeah. try them? Do you, yeah, no, do you, I mean, I, I, you jump I, I, on I mean, all even, of them? My kids laugh at me because I even look, I'm, I don't I don't post, but I I, I look at TikTok and I mean, I, yeah. I find all this sort of stuff interesting. Yeah, my it's I don't know how we got to the the point where we could ignore the the most important things and hang on to the things that are becoming less important. Mm. And 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 it's, it's because it's almost become like an article of faith that that um, the creativity is storytelling and everything else is executional. Mm. Uh, and but evidence suggests that actually creativity has become broader and much broader than storytelling. Um, and storytelling is is in many cases the thing that that comes at the end, not at the beginning. Right. Because the, the first thing you figure out is how to enable a behavior, and then you or you know or how to create a system. That you then put a story into mm. the story comes later, or the or the story tells is about it, the story is about the behavior that you created, or the utility you created, or yeah. the transaction you created. The story can even be made up after the fact. That's uh, yeah, that's my point. Playing, right? playing, I think yeah. is no, that's, that's play right. yeah. is what we really do, that's right. uh, and yes. we make up stories about yeah. why we did the thing we did. But the thing we did was because it was fun. Or it was yeah. it was a an expression of our our emotions and our feelings, and we, and we um, get that to that place. Once and we... brands are so they want. I'm sorry, I'm telling yeah, you, yeah. I, I try not to do this. But uh, <laughs> brands are so uh, you know brand managers and clients and and creatives and and people in agencies are so worried about the thing getting away from them yeah. that they try to like, well, let's have a meeting and we'll talk about all the things we could. But, but uh, just making things. Well, is, this is, I think, one of the reasons that, that and not that, that, so that, much that the traditional it. formats have, have survived. Although it seems like they're now falling off a cliff, but they survived as long as they did, because there was a comfort in them. Mm. People, at least, they thought they knew how to measure them. They certainly knew how to pre-visualize them and how to create them. Yeah. And and there was this concern that oh, at least we've got this thing that we know how it works. It's a mature industry around it, and all these other things that are that are emerging from the bottom up. Are, are unconstructed somehow, and so right. and so we'll wait until they're constructed. The problem is that they're always going to be unconstructed. Yeah, there's, and there's always, always going like to be another sort of, one yeah. next. And so the, this, you have no choice than to jump in and be, try to get fluent in these mediums. Hmm. And one of the things that the you know the people at Facebook and Google violently agree with me about is that is that they don't want to come to these agencies and tell them what best practices are. Yeah, they would prefer the agencies to come to them and say we've been using. Uh, you know your your formats, and we think you might want to do this because we think this is going to be cool. Mm. Uh, you know the 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 ham fisted analogy that I use is: Could you imagine Kodak going to Scorsese and giving him uh, best practices in storytelling? Mm. You know, I mean these these are enabling technologies that we're supposed to master and advance and create new grammars around. Yeah, and yet Facebook will send in some people to help out a creative team in an agency. Yeah. An internal turn up, no one else will turn up. Mm. You know, this is a sort of this is they, they don't take it seriously. Right. But meanwhile, they've if you know these big uh, digital behemoths have eaten our industry. Yeah. 
They've become bigger than our industry. Yeah. And yet somehow they're considered below the line or something. I don't know what it is. It's like this sort of strange disregard. I mean, I saw it mm. having, you know, being at, at RJ in the early days. We yeah. were like this little digital agency. And no, none of the big traditional agencies thought treat us with any respect yeah we, we, we may as well have been doing sort of pamphlets i remember uh thinking of you guys and i was at kirschenbaum my friend evan silver got a job at rga i think uh he became a director later on but um he he basically described it as like oh they do movie trailers that's what they that's what they started as yeah, that's right, right. Yeah. yeah that was before it was a production company yeah, it was, uh, yeah. and and it sort of turned into tell me about about Rob Greenberg and and that whole experience of uh of yeah, being so, there so uh, you that's know that's next in your career right so yeah. i i had i arrived in in the US in 94 worked at a design company then worked at a small advertising agency then worked at a, at a, like a little dot com startup that collapsed, like, because the, the bubble burst. Yeah. And then I looked for a new job in New York. I had been in Atlanta. I came back to New York. And I interviewed with two companies, Ogilvy, and specifically with Brian Collins, who ran the brand integration yeah. group, um, and 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 Bob Greenberg, who was, you know, part of this, this company, whose work I was only familiar with through the titles work. So the seven yeah. titles, the seven right. titles, yeah. and Superman It was title. them yeah. and Imaginary Forces. Exactly. They were the... Well, Imaginary Forces was what... Was that uh, later Green, uh, What uh, Greenberg became in L.A. So his oh, okay. brother went to L.A. Oh, I and, didn't know that. And they started Imaginary Forces. That's, and that's when Bob decided to actually, this thing called the internet might be interesting. You know, and it, yeah. it felt to him at least that the special effects world was becoming more commoditized for him because a lot of the early special effects that RGA did, they had they built the software. Mm. And, then, and that became off the shelf and it, and it became harder to compete in that world. And, and the internet seemed like it was something interesting. So by the time I got to RGA, which was in 2001, it was just transitioning out of, uh, out of uh, special effects and titles into uh, early sort of web shop, basically. And you could see the writing on the wall that that was going to be a thing. Oh, absolutely. As yeah. I said before, you know, I came to RG as, as someone who had um, a, a very broad, disconnected career, and I saw that this thing called the net was going to connect all those things that I had done mm. and add different dimensions to it and different layers. And so I felt confident that this was, that was the right choice, um, even in 2001. Mm. And, and you got to remember... In contrast to what was going on in the traditional advertising world, where they, where this thing called the big idea was starting to develop, and where the the craft of the art director, copywriter teams uh, was being focused in you know in basically doing scripts mm. um, to justify the big idea, we were very honest about our medium because because in two thousand and one, if you were a web shop. The way that you distinguish yourself in that world was you just understood the medium yeah. because it was moving rapidly and it was just a sort of magic thing. And there was a small group of creative people that would tended to be generalists. Mm. Um, you know, they could code a little bit, they could design a little bit, uh, and they were mastering this new medium. What was interesting is that this medium kept changing because it, it was this network that kept, kept ingesting things and kept learning off itself and it just became bigger and more... And so what started us off as a design discipline where you just figured out how to architect hyperlinked pages then became that plus animation because Flash became the language of the web. Right. And then and then e-commerce became a thing, so you needed to understand 
how to connect design to e-commerce, or even in the case of you know one of the early jobs that we did at IGA for Nike ID, how to do real-time customization using sort of visualizing a shoe changing color and flash, and then and then connecting that to a supply chain. Yeah, you know, so people get their shoe and so that's a in, business you know. problem. And, a, and, and yeah, so and so you you can see it went from every time the web ate something, RGA had to get good at that thing. How yeah. did you do it? Like, because because there's a there's a point to get good at something, you yeah. have to be bad at it. Yeah, no. At and, first. and so I, this, and you don't want to sort of admit right. that to your clients as you do it. Like, well, we're learning, or well, did you? Well, did you? I, no, I think that because, as I said, the web kept offering new possibilities, and because our medium was the web, every time something came along, like early social, okay, we need to figure this out, or mobile, right? So we RJ was building mobile websites before the iPhone. We were doing websites for Nike, and we, you know, and so we were really good at incubating new capabilities when we saw the need for it, standing them up, and then pulling them into the middle. And what I found was, <clears throat> is that the first version of whatever we did was always shit, right? Because you didn't really know who to hire, what you were doing. But as soon as you got more familiar with whatever that thing was, like say social, hmm. then you got to a place of competence. And it was once you were at a place of competence where you were doing something as good as anyone else out there in that world, it was then where RGA's magic source was then you would pull it and connect it to, into everything else, which would reinvent it. So I'll give you, I'll give you two examples. We decided at, at some point that we would do um, brand identities, like do, do a sort of brand design practice within RGA, mm-hmm. recognizing that brands had gone from you know, out in the physical world to band, brands were more rep, were best represented in interfaces because mm. the interface would either deliver the promise of the brand or disappoint you, right? right, right. And most of our interactions with companies were starting to happen on interfaces. So yeah. given my background and I thought, well, this is a huge opportunity. We have a good idea about companies because when we did websites, it was like a cross-section of the whole company, a lot of these websites. So we yeah. understood them. We knew, understood how they should be positioned. We understood how to create a language around them. Mm. And so we got we got to a point where we were as good as like um you know, like an interbrand or something at least from a craft point of view yeah but the magic source for us is when we then connected it to our our web teams we started to think about brands less as signifiers that you then sort of apply on top of a world and more about um, uh, designing behaviors for a brand and then distilling those behaviors into signifiers. Mm. Um, it sounds very abstract, but no, a, but a it, simple way to, would be that if you, so we did this product for Nokia, which was a very early geolocation thing where you, as you traveled with your Nokia N95, which was you know, like a early, mm-hmm. early smartphone, it had uh, the ability to track where you're going, which at the time was crazy, right? Yeah. But it also, because it was a multimedia machine, you could take images, you, you could take photos, you could listen to music, you could do all of these things. It could track your, uh, content creation and consumption along this line. And so before we even named this product or figured out what the what the logo would be, we had to sketch out the behavior. Mm. And sketching out the behavior suggested the name because you had this line that you'd go, and we so we called it Vine, a line that grew along a map. We called it Nokia Vine. And then, mm. and then we had these containers because every time you captured an image or consumed something, it would pop up on this line. And so we made those containers look like leaves. And, and so we took two of these leaves, 
turn them into a logo. So you see, we would, we went backwards. We started with the behavior. We yeah. didn't come up with some crazy Greco yeah. Roman name and then, and then, right. and then come up with a language and then, and then stick it on the interface like an applicate, like it was an, an, you know, like a, like a sticker. Yeah. We figured out the behavior and then distilled the behavior. So we inverted it. Right. And this was something we found every time we did a new thing. One of the last things that we did, um, well, not the last thing because they continue to do new things, but, yeah. but when, but, Unlike the traditional agencies that which had mastered storytelling and mm-hmm. then and then tried to catch up from a digital perspective, we did the opposite. Yeah, we had mastered, you know, uh, mobile, social, um, e-commerce, all these things, building tools. Yeah, and, and then but then then the the web ate all the best storytelling. It ate all the best storytelling because the pipe got big enough. Yeah, that that you would video. Be, that you would. Be, uh, there was a time when people wouldn't didn't believe that you would watch video on your on your cell phone. Yeah. And now it's it's it is the most common practice, right? Because the pipe's big and, and right. Netflix and Amazon are creating the, the best content. So yeah. when it became obvious to us that the web was going to eat all the best storytelling, mm. we were like, oh shit. We've got to stop complaining about advertising agencies. Stop being these digital utopians and you know, by saying utility would solve everything. Yeah. And start recognizing that actually there's a place for awesome storytelling in our medium. Right. And so then we started to go through these three phases that I mentioned before in storytelling. So the first generation of our storytelling capabilities was rubbish. We did really bad storytelling. We didn't have great people doing it. Right. We the second generation, right, which it probably took about six months to get to the second generation because we were very determined to get good mm-hmm. at it. The second generation, we were doing stuff that was as good as an average agency. Mm-hmm. You know, as good as like a, I don't know, like a like a draft, you mm-hmm. know, or a, mm-hmm. or a McGarry Bowen or, you mm-hmm. know, the very competent agencies. Yeah. But, but it, it wasn't a surprise to us when we saw our TV spots, you know, at that point. Right. But, but then those teams, which we'd brought in from the outside, Artred, copywriter teams that were really good at narrative work, once we then had incubated it, got to a point of competency, and then connected it to our other teams, all of a sudden the influence of 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 experience design and systematic mm. thinking yeah. started to infect the storytelling. And, and and again it inverted how we, what we thought about storytelling because we we started to realize that to, for a story to be successful in our medium meant that you had to tell the story of the user or the or the of the audience as much as the brand. The context was yeah. the most important part. But it was also like the first the first rule of experience design is when you're designing software is user comes first. Because unlike when you're you know uh, delivering TV spots, you can't buy usage. Like you can buy eyeballs for advertising, but for software you can't force someone to use it by buying media. You have to so 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 by extension Experience designers have this mantra, user first, user Mm. first. If we're not satisfying what the user wants, they're not going to use our software. Mm. So if you take that thinking and put it into storytelling, Mm. it becomes audience first, right? Because you then, because the way that you get a story to become mass in the stream is you get someone's attention, they interact with it, Mm. and, and, and perhaps most important, they share it. And when I get, a, 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 you know, a, if someone, if you share me something online, yeah, I say, oh, Tom's just sent me something. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is, I'm going to look at that. Yeah, you know. Whereas if like some telco you right. know, uh, targets me yeah. or something, it's like it's a big fucking company. I Promoted care. tweets. Yeah. So you get this this amazing social network effect when you tell stories that say something about you. Yeah. Right. And so if so, then your job becomes how do you insinuate your way into this behavior? How do you dovetail 
the brand's message into the into the story of of the audience. Yeah. And then so so rapidly when we got to this point, we pulled these people in. We were doing things like game before the game. Yeah. You know, the love has no labels. We yeah. went from a a company that people thought couldn't do storytelling that was like this strange little technical production company. Yeah. To a, to a company that was doing the most viral videos in the world. When when you say you uh, connected these storytellers to your teams, yeah. practically, what does that mean? They're sitting near each other. They're working yeah. together on on projects. They're so as this was happening, as it became clear that we need to get really good at storytelling, I created a, an organizing principle um, to start um, making sure people are doing what they should do. Because what I found was. In the early days of trying to do st- storytelling, we had you know designers and, and experienced designers and uh, who Red had yet yeah, trying to do going into our, our content studio and doing dreadful stories. Yeah, yeah. And I also noticed on the on you know with my colleagues in the more traditional agencies that they were doing the opposite. They had yeah. after it the copywriters coming up with app ideas. Yeah. And they I, even though that spent ten years doing TV scripts, so yeah. there was this this dreadful mismatch. So I came up with this organizing principle called stories and systems. Which is let's recognize that there are two ways of being creative. You know, if we were to be brutal about it, one mm. is thinking temporally, right? Which is about the revealed moment. That's mm. storytelling, and the other one is thinking spatially, mm. right? Which is about sort of arch- architecting and connecting things, and that's mm. design. Um, and so, and by doing that, we und- we knew how to combine teams. And, and instead of the the burn back model, where you get art and copy, and you step and repeat. And that's your team, mm. and everything goes through that that creative team of art and copy. What we did was we had leadership teams of stories and systems. So in New York, it was Chloe who was an experience designer, and Taras who was a, a writer, mm-hmm. and 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 they would then curate whatever team is needed. So we had mm. modular teams. So it might be at some point you would have you know a big systematic designer, copywriter, data scientist, uh, you know, an experienced strategist, you know, a, a connections plan. You might have whatever. Yeah. But but it would but because at the leadership level you had a breadth of literacy. Right. From systematic or from design to storytelling. Yeah. And between those two people, they knew how to solve this problem. Yeah. And in contrast, the traditional agencies still had this forced uh, path through art and copy. Yeah, and the creative director yeah. is the all-knowing. Exactly, and and then and then and they and then if they he would, doesn't understand or she doesn't understand. Yeah. Mostly, he uh, doesn't yeah. understand uh, the technology. Yeah. They're like, ah. but they would never surrender the, the leadership. Instead, yeah. they would hire these exotic creatures, yeah. called digital creators, and stick them underneath, and they would turn into executional people. Yeah, and that's why the churn of digital people in traditional agencies is so great because it's like, well, am I going to sit here and wait for an art director, copywriter, to tell me something they know nothing about? Yeah, or am I going to go and work at Spotify or yeah. Frog mm. or RGA, mm. and so so that's how we dealt with that. Um, that's great. Is it, yeah, so you have a, a consistent two-headed leadership across offices, teams, and then you have a, you have a, a, a broad array of of creative skills that could be curated depending on the problem. Yeah, I'm conscious of our time of your time. Uh, I want to get to your your new your new gig, yep. uh, publicist, uh, big gig. Yeah, uh, so many agencies, so many things to do yeah um what how do you change how you think about what your job is and well i mean the thing that i'm exposed to now that i wasn't at iga is this full spectrum of of um, you know companies so you know from a sapient which you know which is which is more in the in the consulting and and digital transformation world 
uh, you know, to to the classic big um, creative agencies, uh, to the media, which mm-hmm. is you know uh, uh, has been the growth engine of our industry for the last mm-hmm. few decades, mm-hmm. right? And then the, and in, and then there's PR and, and there's health and there's all these other things, and and for me, in the same way that. Um, uh, even though I was very close to the work at RGA, part of my creative output at RGA was organizing, organizational design. What does a team look like? How do we connect departments? Uh, you know, what new capabilities should we create? There's something that's similar that goes on at a, at a holding company of 80,000 people. It's just uh, the scale is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the connections you need to design are very different depending on whether you're connecting two companies or mm. two people. Mm-hmm. So there's this sort of incredible scale that you need to think about vertically, like because you don't connect people like you connect companies. Like the the synthesis of art and copy that Burnback came up with completely changed the quality of work in the late fifties. Yeah, qualitatively the work just changed because yeah. you had this amazing amazing because they were speaking different languages right. and putting and them then together. they synthesized them. Yeah, um, and but you can't do that with with two companies of you know of of 2000 people. Mm. And so when you're connecting, you know, in like, so WPP has connected to Y and R and VML mm-hmm. and, and JWT and Wonderman. And, the, and you need to, th- and, and there's, so if you're a holding company, level thinking about those sort of connections, you don't just stick, stick those two entities in a room, like you do an art director copyright. You start thinking very about the, how you architect a connection so that you keep the cultures vibrant and you get the both, the best of, of both, of yeah. both things. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> it's a design, it's design thinking really. Yeah. And actually I'd, I would say that one of the th- things that stopped the, the more traditional agencies from evolving is, is they didn't realize that transformation in the end is a design problem. Right. Innovation is a design problem. Yeah. It doesn't mean that storytelling isn't vital. Yeah. It just means that you can't change by telling a different story about your company. Right. You've got to actually go in and architect it differently. And, and, and you so can't you, do the same things every day. You right. can't have the same meetings. You can't have the same yeah. departments. You can't have the same yeah. people not talking to each other within. And, and you can't change these places by just getting change agents in. Oh, let's get <laughs> Lars Bolstrom into Ogilvy. Yeah. You know, like, or, or let's, let's right. get, uh, you know, Jeff Benjamin into JWT or whatever. Right, I mean, right, right. These things tend not to work <clears throat> because there's a structural issue. Yeah. There's a, there's a company design issue. Yeah. And you've got to figure that out before you get the right people. Yeah. And and I and so for me at Publicis, I spent a lot of time I like to get close to work, but obviously I'm a little bit further away from it now. Yeah. Except for in pitches and things like that. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time thinking about um, how these different creative cultures can work together. Yeah. What what are the connection points? Is there are there new things that can be created out of this? Are there things that we should be new capabilities that we need to seed in particular places and then connect them to something else? So it becomes, um, it beca- I and and th- why that's important. I think that a creative be at at that level, the holding company, yeah. is that we're going through this enormous transformation. And what we need to imagine in the future is not a new financial structure. We need to imagine new product. And our product is creativity. So if we don't have creative people yeah. thinking about what the new product will be in the next five, ten years, then how are we going to design agencies to deliver that? Yeah. And 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 this is actually one of the great tragedies of our industry is that the creative what used to be the driver of our industry back in Burnback and Ogilvy with you know, and even in the contemporaries like Dave Droger and Dan Wyden. Creatives led agencies because they were the product people. Yeah, and we've got it to a point now where the where the creatives have been infantilized mm. 
largely by you know the award the award industrial complex <laughs> and and they're making decisions that destroy the business yeah and then on the other hand you you've got business people making decisions that destroy the product yeah and in the, and the truth is you need both you need to synthesize them yeah but the vision right the, the job of the business people is to extrapolate from the past into the future putting systems that that make sure we have stable businesses and you know yeah. and the, and the job of the creatives or the or the product people or the strategists is to imagine a new future right and that's a risk yeah so you balance things. that out you have to break you, ba- things you balance too. out extrapolate in the past with imagining a new future if you don't have anyone imagining a new future then you get into the point where we are now yeah. where a lack of creative leadership across the whole industry yeah uh, and a lot of that that leadership has been surrendered by creatives, it's like willingly surrendered by creatives, yeah, because they don't want to get near this mucky thing business. called business. Yeah, like, yeah. do you think Ogilvy thought that? Do you think Droga <laughs> thinks that? Like, get in there. It's yeah. our business. Yeah, yeah, We're the yeah. product people. What yeah. are we going to do next? And yeah. don't tell me that you, you, that you're less excited in the future than you are in the past. Yeah, because you're not creative then. Yeah. The definition of creative is taking no, nothing the gonna be awesome. and, and creating something new. Let me talk about one thing, one last thing before yes. you go. Marcel. Yes. Uh, it scares me. No, it, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it does. But uh, in the same way that the internet scared me, I look at yeah. it and I go, I don't get it. It's a bunch of, you know, yeah. it's an AI thing that's going to connect things. And t- yeah. tell me about, uh, uh, t- take me from this, like, it's a bunch of hyperlinks to yeah. what it's going to be. So I think that I, I think just I really just jump I feel ahead, like a, I jump feel like a troglodyte. In in five years, uh, tools tools these collaborative tools like Marcel will be considered so mundane. Sure, right? But no, people never think about them, and the fact that it had got so much hysteria around it is a bit mystifying to me. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that the internet created this sort of exponential. Um, uh, world of innovation through connecting different ways of thinking to create new ways of thinking. Right mm-hmm. in the end, that's 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 the sort of creative network effects of the internet created this amazing world of of you know. <clears throat> I remember uh, following in the early internet the CG artist who was doing this film in his bedroom in Aberdeen mm-hmm. called Rust Boy, and there was a whole community built around this guy watching him build. Uh, um, was he painting a, a man that would? Uh, what was it? Oh, it was. It was, it was just he was using CG. Okay, but the, my point there is that, that, that any creative act now is connected yeah. to every other creative act. Yeah, and so you get this amazing um, uh, combined ability to combine things to create new things, which is innovation. And yeah. so, if you think about that as the internet, is there a version of that which is sort of enterprise, like where we can connect eighty thousand people to make them more thoughtful? Are more creative, more connected, <clears throat> where we have less redundancy, where we learn off each other, <clears throat> where we explore, and you know, that's all it is. It's the, and and as as I said, like in the same way that when the when email first came along, it was like, this is crazy. Why yeah. do I need this? Why don't I just fax something? Yeah. Well, it's, it's sort of qualitatively different, and it hasn't made you any less thoughtful. And I think that I in I don't think Marcel um, is anything other than that. What, what, but what is it like practically for people who don't know what we're talking about, Marcel? Well, you can, there's a whole bunch of different features within it. You can connect with with colleagues. You can find out if there are people in the network that have a uh, that have a expertise in VR in the mm-hmm. automotive industry. Mm-hmm. You can send a brief out and distribute it and get in, interesting ideas from different corners of of the world. You can do your timesheets, <laughs> you know, and the and the AI piece is just taking all of your enterprise software and figuring out if you're available, right. who you need to connect. Like making inferences, which is all that AI does. Yeah. 
and figuring out like the, your patterns of behavior and Who's then making the right person for this at yeah, exactly. the right time and connecting and you the, and and there's a there's a you know there's a voice input so the AI helps you know make sense of your voice input and yeah. connect you with things it's it's you know it's not it's not it's a bunch of new it's a bunch of technologies that exist but yeah. put, brought together in a way to make uh, an enterprise just more productive and creative, mostly creative. And and it's thinking about it through the lens of what is a human, how is a human going to th- go about making this creative <clears throat> And it's product? also, it's treating your enterprise like you're already behaving yeah. in your social networks, doing all the things. Like you have this thing in your pocket you pull out every day and make, it does amazing things. You can bank on the... You know, on your subway or connect with your friends. Yeah. Like, and then you go into workplaces, and all of a sudden you're back in the in the eighties. Yeah. And so it's just creating a world where, you know, where it that, that is enabled in the same way that your that your you know your your normal world is. And it, I, I assume it's five years from now you'll look back on what it does right now, and you'll be like, wow, that was really lame. Basic, yeah, uh, definitely. And yeah. basic. And in the future, it will. Do what? Like what? what well, it'll do imagine? what it needs to do. It's software. Yeah. That's the other yeah. thing. And I think one of the reasons that the advertising industry is horrified by this is that they keep expecting it to be launched like a campaign. Yeah, yeah. It's software. It's yeah. gonna, it's gonna Iterative. accrete value over time. Yeah. And it might be something very different to what we think it should be. Yeah. Now, in the future, it might actually be something very different. Right. But it's it's all at the at the service of connecting people and connecting yeah. ideas. And in the end, our industry, all that we have. Is this bunch of freaks with crazy brains that yeah. you know that think in different ways, right? Um, and 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 if this doesn't help that, there's no use having it, right? You know, because we're not going to beat the consultants with our accountants because they've got better accountants. We're not going to beat the clients by being more like the clients because they're the clients. Mm-hmm. We're going to beat. We're going to be better than all of them because we've got really interesting creative people yeah. that couldn't get a job anywhere else because yeah. they're a bunch of freaks because yeah. they went to a community college yeah. and didn't get didn't get a degree. Yeah. And you know, and this is this is the beauty of our industry. If we don't protect that, if we don't protect the this, weirdness the, the weirdness, then yeah. then we're gonna get we're gonna get squashed. Yeah. Stay human, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for freaks. being on thanks for being on the uh, the podcast. It was fun. So that was my chat with Nick Law. What a guy. Walked out of here and went to Cannes. And I think probably at Cannes left his job (laughs) as CCO of Publicis and is going to Apple. I think it was a really cool interview and and good to hear his thoughts on the state of the industry and interesting to see where he goes next. Maybe we can have him on again. Come on over, Nick Law. Thanks for listening. This has been the A-List brought to you by Ad House Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Please rate us and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to be interviewed for an upcoming episode, contact us through adhousenyc.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Mongo Industries. You can check out DeMassimo Goldstein at digobrands.com. The A-List is recorded at Gramercy Post. Our engineer is Matt Stillo. And our producer was Casey Valigursky. Thanks, guys.